Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 123. Hi, Principal Matters listeners. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, as I continue my series and reflections for educators, I'd like to talk to you about why your marriage matters for your leadership. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at my website at williamdparker.com. This summer, my wife, Missy, and I enjoyed time away celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary in Lake Tahoe, Nevada. And one afternoon, we drove to Emerald Bay, a cove nestled a mile below the mountain highway there, and hiked down the trail to a place where we rented a kayak. And when we pushed away from the shore, I was immediately struck by the clarity of the water. Gray mountains covered in tall pines and shrubs formed a semicircle around the cove. And as you look across the water, the blue skies shine across the clear spring-fed surface with a silvery blue hue. Missy was sitting up front, her bare legs and feet extended straight out in front of the boat as she soaked in the sunlight. And we rode ahead until we approached the round boulders of a small island where we stopped for photos and selfies. It was a happy moment, and we were doing something that we love a lot, being together outdoors. That trip brought back a lot of memories. When I was a junior in college, I had a Christmas party to attend at the end of the fall semester, and bringing a date was a requirement for attending. At the time, I wasn't dating anyone, but I asked myself, a question that I now realize was one of the most important questions I asked in my life. Who would be the perfect girl to ask on this date? So I started making a mental list. It would be a girl who was pretty and smart, a girl who cared about her spiritual life, someone dedicated to a strong personal vision. And although it was a tall order, I also knew that all I could offer was one fun, non-romantic evening with no expectations of a second date. My first memories of Missy had been our freshman year of college. We had attended some summer training together, but I didn't really know her. She was just an acquaintance, and over the next couple of years, we would see each other at various gatherings. She was fun-loving, and I knew that other girls respected her and looked to her as a leader. But during that junior year, Missy's younger brother had come to live on my floor, and I remembered he kept a photo of her on his desk And as I would stop in to visit with him, sometimes I would stop and look. And one day I paused and thought, wow, she's pretty. It was six weeks before the Christmas party. And Missy and I were working together at a campus event when I decided to work up my courage and go for it. I walked up to a table where she was working and I said, hey, I have a question I want to ask about your calendar. Okay, she glanced at me curiously and pulled out her planner from her bag. I thought hard of what I should say next. I was wondering what you might be doing on December 6th. I mean, I know it's a long time from now, but I wanted to see if you had anything scheduled then. Well, she paused as she thumbed through the pages and stopped. Actually, I don't have anything planned. Cool, I said. Could I pencil something in for you? She smiled and handed it to me, and I took a pencil from the table and wrote, Men's RA Christmas Party, 6 p.m., Will Parker, on the December 6th box. And then I handed it back. She looked at the page, and then she looked back at me. 
it was the longest moment of my life. And suddenly I realized how much I wanted her to say what she said next. Okay. I don't have anything else going on then. So I'd be glad to go. It wasn't the smoothest approach for asking out the perfect girl. But as I walked away, I reminded myself that this was just going to be one date. Just one year ago, Missy and I were standing on the banks of the Illinois River in eastern Oklahoma. Our four kids were skipping rocks on the water, and we were watching as the sun set orange above the towering trees on the opposite bank. And I sat down on a nearby picnic table, and everyone gathered around. I have an announcement to make. I said, you know I've been offered a new job as an executive director for my principal association. I'm going to take it. Emily, our oldest daughter, began to cry. Missy and I looked at each other, and then we all gathered around her for a group hug. She just graduated from Sky Duke High School, where I had been for the past 10 years. We'd built a lot of memories there. No matter how great this opportunity, it would be hard to say goodbye. We talked for a long time with each family member taking turns, talking about the ups and downs for their coming school year. And soon as we headed back to our cabin, Missy and I watched our children walk ahead of us, strolling across the grass and through the trees. Not every moment in our marriage and family has been filled with these blissful memories that I've just narrated, because marriage is a series of ups and downs. For every happy moment we've shared, we've also experienced sleepless nights and unresolved conflicts and broken promises and strained commitments but the investment has been worth it. If you've read my posts before, you know that I have shared often about my first few years of school administration. When I transitioned from teaching to school leadership, the commitment became an overcommitment that hurt not only my marriage, but also my health, my spiritual life, my finances. And thankfully, my wife had the courage to tell me that I had become a shell of the man that I used to be. She gave me a wake-up call that forced me to rethink about my priorities in every area of my life, and my marriage was one of them. So this week, I want to talk straight about why your marriage, if you are married, matters. In the book, The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts by author Gary Chapman, He talks about the importance of understanding the specific ways that your spouse receives love. Maybe it's quality time or giving something that expresses appreciation, or perhaps it's physical affection or acts of service, or maybe it's verbal praise. And Chapman explains that each time you communicate love to your spouse in his or her own language, you're making deposits in their love bank. Each time you fail to invest, you're also making withdrawals. And the equation in relationships is simple. When you make more meaningful deposits than withdrawals, then you increase the potential to grow closer over time. So this week, I would like to share with you just six simple marriage reminders. And I want to just pause for a moment and remind you of something that I'm sure you're already aware of. And that's, first of all, that a healthy marriage is good for you. Dr. Robert H. Smerling, the faculty editor for Harvard's Health Publishing, talks about the benefits of marriage in a post from November 30th, 2016, in his blog at health.harvard.edu, and I'll link to it in this post. But he writes, quote, There is fascinating and compelling research suggesting that married people enjoy better health than single people. For example, as compared with those who are single, those who are married tend to live longer 
have fewer strokes and heart attacks, have a lower chance of becoming depressed, be less likely to have advanced cancer at the time of diagnosis and more likely to survive cancer for a longer period of time, survive a major operation more often. And then he continues, this doesn't mean that just being married automatically provides these health benefits. People in stressful, unhappy marriages may be worse off than a single person who is surrounded by supportive and caring friends, family, and loved ones. Interestingly, many of these health benefits are more pronounced for married men than for married women, end quote. When you look at the prevailing research on marriage, it's easy to see why a healthy marriage is an important investment. And as you're leading your school or organization, how can you keep perspective if you are married? How do you encourage a mindset for prioritizing the one person who will still be with you long after your school leadership is over? Now, although the questions that I want to share with you could be meaningful in any relationship, I need to speak directly to those who are married. It's the context in which I've lived for 25 years, and I want to be able to speak from that experience. So if you're unmarried, I hope this post could be helpful. But if you're married, I want to speak directly to you by asking you this week, when is the last time that you've done an inventory on your commitment to your marriage? And so here are six questions I want you to consider. Number one, when's the last time that you revisited your marriage vows? If you haven't read your vows lately, I want you to pull them out or I want you to listen closely to the next wedding you attend. And most likely they say something like this. I, insert your name, take you, insert your spouse's name, to be my wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance, and therefore I pledge thee my faith and myself. Promises are important. And if you really mean what you say, then your spouse should be the one person that you prioritize above everyone else in your life, for better, for worse, for richer, or for poorer, in sickness and health. So when is the last time you revisited your marriage vows? Because sometimes just thinking about the promises that you've made can help you keep perspective. Number two, are you giving your spouse first place in your relationships? Now, giving your spouse first place means lots of different implications. First, it means that what your spouse thinks trumps what others think. This doesn't mean that you don't debate or that you don't disagree, but it means that your spouse's opinion always matters. So that means that giving your spouse the due respect that she deserves when offering you suggestions or feedback or advice means saving yourself lots of pitfalls because your spouse can see things that you are blind to see. For instance, in every major career move that I've made, I have weighed the pros and cons together with my wife. And staying unified in those major decisions doesn't mean that we've agreed on every point, but it does mean that we've moved ahead with agreement. So ask yourself this question, are you giving your spouse first place? This means that sometimes you have to compromise and learning to compromise is healthy for relationships. Number three, are you committed through the highs and the lows? No matter how much you love your spouse, you're going to go through seasons of ups and downs. So don't let how you feel determine your commitment to your promises. Promises are kept regardless of how you feel. And here's a secret. When you act in response to the promises you've made, the right feelings almost always follow. And this is especially important in romance and sex. 
Our culture is obsessed with the idea of being led by your feelings. And when you spend years with another person, your feelings can change a lot depending on the season in your life, raising children, starting a new job, facing disease or health problems. And I can only speak from my experience, but if your commitment to your spouse is based on a love that is solid no matter the ups or downs, then you're going to eventually find your feelings returning along that journey together because your journey is based on an unwavering commitment. Number four, are you willing to keep learning and cooperating together? Healthy marriages are honest marriages. And showing each other honesty also means showing each other a lot of grace. One of the best decisions that we made early in our marriage was taking a couple's communications course. In fact, we read an old book called A Couple's Guide to Communication by John Gottman. And although the book was old, it was still very relevant. We learned things like practicing open postures when talking, repeating back statements, really understanding what the other person was saying. Resolving conflict through difficult conversations has become a bedrock for our ability to communicate. In fact, during our first year of marriage, we scheduled a date every Saturday morning for space just to talk about any questions or conflicts that had surfaced during the week. And over the years, those early practices have taught us a lot of skills that we still use today. So you must stay willing to be teachable and to cooperate. Number five, can you admit when you need help? When you talk about things that are difficult, you often hit walls that you can't seem to overcome. And it's important that you learn to ask for help, whether that's reaching out to a trusted counselor or friend, or whether it's simply stopping and praying. It is wise to reach out to others when you can't resolve issues. And I've learned this the hard way many times. When I have been willing to admit that I cannot find solutions to major disagreements, I'm always surprised that how that admission will often lead to a change in my attitude. Just the simple act of admitting that I need help can be a game changer in moving forward with a shared decision and solution. And then finally, number six, are you investing in time together and celebrating milestones? Now, I know a lot of couples that have a set date night every week, and we haven't had that practice, but we've tried to make it a priority to reconnect in ways that matter for the both of us. And for my wife, that means quality time together. We also love to travel and vacation as a family. A couple of years ago, in fact, I had a good friend who lost his wife to a disease after 35 years of marriage. And the one piece of advice that he gave me after her death was this. He said, we'll go on vacation together every year, even if it's something you have to pay back later. The memories you build will be something you hold on to for the rest of your life. How are you investing time together in celebrating milestones? Because it's good for your marriage. So let's wrap this up. This past week, I was actually sitting by the bedside of my mother-in-law, Cleta, who has Alzheimer's. She's had some complications with her medications that have hospitalized her for a few days while her doctors have adjusted her dosages. And as she was recovering, Missy and I would take turns staying with her at night. One night I was alone with her and we were talking about when I first met Missy. Because her memory's fading, she looked at me a few minutes later and said, where's Missy? She's gone home to put the kids to bed, I explained. And as she drifted off to sleep, I began to think about how someday Missy or I could be the one laying in hospital bed while the other one is caring. And if you're married, you know already that old age will someday fade your strength in your memories. When that time comes, I guarantee that you will not be worried about your master schedules or whether you read all your emails, but you will care 
about your most intimate relationships. You know, on our trip to Emerald Bay, Missy and I walked the edge of the shore after we had boated. We stood ankle deep in the cool waters and watched as other boats and kayaks moved across the surface and the sands under our feet swirled with golden flecks and ducks rested on a floating log nearby. And Missy took out her phone for photos and I thought about our decades together, the the ups and the downs. Meeting one another, the loss of our first pregnancy and miscarriage, holding her hand in the births of our four children, the lit candles of toddler birthday parties, the late nights helping our kids study for tests, the long roads to band camps, the joys and tears of graduations, holding each other's hands by the gravesides of lost family members. And through it all, we've often returned to the promises that we first made to one another, promises to put one another ahead of our own personal interests, vows that today seem so old-fashioned in a world where you're often told that nothing is as important as your personal happiness and fulfillment, but commitments that are still worth it. So this week, even in the busyness of your school, if you're married, I want to ask you to please revisit your promises. Give your spouse the priority that he or she deserves. Stay committed through the highs and lows and keep learning together. Admit when you need help and celebrate the milestones along the way. And as you do, I believe you'll find the lessons from your most meaningful relationship is something that keeps you humble and inspired as you row ahead in this life together. So now it's your turn. If you're married, how can you take time to keep your marriage a priority, even in the busyness of school leadership? How can you encourage those around you to prioritize time with their spouses and families? And what are some routines or practices that you can follow to stay connected with the one you love? Well, I hope that's helpful. If you find posts like this helpful, please share them. And if you'd like to connect with me via social media, you can find me at Twitter at WilliamDP, on Instagram at William underscore D underscore Parker. You can see all my resources at my website at WilliamDParker.com. Or if you want to send me an email, you can reach out to me at Will at WilliamDParker.com and I'd love to hear from you. I hope you're having a great week. Thanks for doing what matters and I'll talk to you soon. Mm